0: you have your copy of God's Word, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 22 this morning, and if you have any sort of attention to detail, you have already noticed that the the title of our sermon is a little bit weird. How's your love life? And based on the chuckles that just happened, and the fact that most everybody in the room is currently above the age of 18, and those who are not understand men and women and their love for each other, you understand that the love life is generally going to be uh, what your relationship with the opposite sex is like. And I have to admit to you guys that my love life when I was in college was horrible.
1: <laughs> oh
0: my goodness, it was, it was painfully horrible. Um, and when I got to college, it got worse. Uh, and I really did not have my first real girlfriend until after college. And I look back on it now, and I realize that none of my relationships, uh, even leading up to Kate, the first time that she and I dated, which is a, another story for another day, none of my relationships ever seemed authentic or real. And I look back on it now, and I realize that a lot of my, all of, some if not all of my relationships simply existed for one reason. Because I thought I had to have a girlfriend. Wasn't because I liked the girl. It was because I thought I had to have a girlfriend. And needless to say now, my focus just changed a little bit. And the reason why the title of this message this morning is, How Is Your Love Life? Is because we're going to see this morning that our love life, our love in Christ, can be really, really off-kilter, really, really skewed if we let it. If we read the Bible the wrong way, if our relationship is uh, viewed in the wrong way. And we're going to look at some folks this morning that they thought their love wife was great, and it wasn't. And then we're going to look at the man who was love, and he's going to tack him to a wall and say, this is what love is really all about this morning. This morning... The How's Your Love Life is based on a conversation that Jesus is going to have with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And because this is a very short passage of Scripture this morning, I'm going to go ahead and read it in its entirety. And if you are are able to stand with me physically uh, as we read the Word of God. And when I'm finished reading, I typically say something like, this is the Word of God. And if you would just respond back with, thanks be to God, that would be appreciated. So if you would go ahead and stand with me as we read this, if you're able to. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40 says this. When the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, who was an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, Jesus responds back to this expert in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Let me pray for us once again. Lord Jesus, speak now, for your servants are listening. In your name we pray, amen. Please be seated. The first thing that we're going to see this morning is that there is a fractured love, a broken love fractured love and we see that by looking in verses 34 through 36 at the pharisees and the sadducees now the pharisees and the sadducees are questioning uh jesus and let me back up for a a couple of uh, verses let me explain what's happened so it says in verse 34 when the pharisees heard that he had silenced the sadducees they came together well if you go back a few verses to about verse 23 you see that jesus and the sadducees are having a conversation And the Sadducees were known as the Sadducees for one very simple reason. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe at all in a bodily resurrection. And so they're having a conversation with Jesus, starting in verse 23. And they're basically trying to say, okay, Jesus, a guy dies and doesn't have any children and according to, to custom, uh, this guy dies. And so his brother, who's next in line, marries his wife. And they don't have any kids and so on and so forth. And finally, this last brother dies. And they all go up to heaven. And the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And basically, what's happening is, is the Sadducees are trying to justify their belief in a lack of a resurrection. And Jesus knows it. And Jesus responds back. In verse 29, he says, you're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. So he tapped into a wall, and he says, you guys just don't get it. And the irony is the Sadducees were the keepers of the law for the first five books of the Bible, which is known as the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These guys were were it. They knew these books of the law backwards, forwards, and sideways. And yet Jesus says, you know these books of the law, but you don't get it. Like, you're asking the wrong question, man. And the Sadducees are silenced. He shuts them up. And, and the Pharisees are kind of sticking around, and they're like, oh, man. He just shut them up. we got to come to the raid, right? It's like, you know, Jesus went from, you know, beating, getting beat up by some, some bullies to, okay, the entire neighborhood gets to gang up on him now. And that's where the Pharisees come in. And the Pharisees were different from the Sadducees in a couple of different ways. And and I want to explain why so that this all makes sense. So, where the Sadducees believed in just the first five books of the Bible, the Pharisees believed and enforced all 613 commands of the Old Testament. I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard enough time obeying the first 10 commands. And these guys are responsible for enforcing 613. 613. Yes, you heard me right. And so they come to the aid of Jesus, or not come to the aid of Jesus, they come to the aid of the Sadducees thinking, okay, hey, we're smarter, we're bigger, we're badder than the Sadducees. These guys just know this, but we know the Old Testament. Let's trip them up. But the reason why they're acting this way is because of who they love. And Jesus knows it because in verse 25 of chapter 23, later on he says this, woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites how'd you like to be in a conversation with somebody and say hey you're you're a hypocrite I don't want to punch him in the face and he's calling the religious leaders of the days hypocrites and this is what he says to them for you clean the outside of the cup and plate but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence So what he's saying is, guys, you have missed the point completely when it comes to the law. On the outside, you look like rock stars, which was true. They did. They looked like rock stars. They looked amazing. They had the best clothes in the world. But on the inside, they were nasty. And Jesus said, you missed a point. And the reason why he says this is to point out their love life was fractured. It was shot. And what's interesting about that is this. These guys were keeper of the law. Well, the law pointed Israel to God, to Jesus, ultimately, to faith. And so what Jesus is telling people is, hey, uh, you're just not getting it. You've been caught up in the legalism of your religion instead of the relationship of your religion. Now, let me, let me give you a firsthand analogy, if I may. Um, so often, uh, people... Look at pastors as these folks that are supposed to know it all. And I really wish I could say I knew every book of my Bible, and I knew every page of every book of my Bible. I don't. And the interesting thing about being a pastor is that so often we feed our sheep. We study, we teach, we love, we pray for, we counsel, we minister. But we forget to feed ourselves. We'll have a short Bible study on a on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night with our sheep. And during the week, pastors may study their Bible for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes. But then we don't set aside times for personal worship, where we just get alone for an hour, two hours, and just pray. Or just listen to God. Or just sing His music. Which would be really easy to do, because you know we have access to Spotify and Pandora and k We have great music. So often, pastors get caught up in feeding others and taking care of others and the duties of being a pastor that we forget to take care of ourselves. And that's what had happened to the Pharisees, is the Pharisees had had gotten so caught up in enforcing the law to everybody else that they had forgotten about the person who wrote the very law that they were enforcing, which is God himself. They had forgotten about the relationship that that law was supposed to be steering them towards. In fact, what's funny is Jesus even calls them to the mat at one point and says, You get on to other people about the fact that if their donkey is in a ditch, they pulled out on a Sunday morning, but yet wouldn't you do the same thing? He gets on to them because that's exactly what's happened is is they have lost place. They They have looked at it as this is my duty to do this. And I think that's what happens a lot of times to, to us in, in, in churches. If we've lost sight of a relationship, is we look at church on a Sunday morning and go, I've got to go because I'm a Baptist and it's the right thing to do. Or I need to go so that this person will see me and they won't wonder where I am and they won't call me on Monday morning harassing me. When the real reason to go to church on a Sunday morning is to sing about Jesus and fellowship with the saints. Amen. But we can become very duty-driven as Christians. We can, we can become very pharisaical as Christians. We can get so tied up in, well, he, he stepped on my toes this morning I don't like it. Well, maybe I wasn't the one that was doing it. Maybe I was just preaching the word of God and Jesus stepped on your toes because you've got something going on in your life because you're caught up in duty and not God. And Jesus pointed that out. And the Pharisees had lost their love. And they had forgotten that God loves us no matter what. A pastor friend of mine once said this, and then we'll go to the next section. God will never love you more than he does right now. And he will never love you any less than he does right now. I'm gonna say that again. God will never love you more than He does right now, and He will never love you any less than He does right now. Does He want us to sing to us? To sing to Him? Does He want us to pray to Him? Does He want us to worship Him? Does He want us to go to church? Yes. But if you think that that makes God love you anymore, you are sorely mistaken. God loves you. Period. God doesn't love you because God simply loves you because he is love. He chooses to love you, and you can't stop him. Which is wonderful because on Sunday mornings, when we come to church for the wrong reasons, you know what that, you know, that tells us? He still loves us anyway. Our love life may be a little bit skewed. It may be a little bit fractured. But he still loves us anyway. And that's a pretty amazing God, guys. When we come to church for the wrong reasons and he says, you're here for the wrong reasons, but you know what? I love you anyway. Because you're going to see and hear about me this morning. That's a pretty amazing God, amen? He doesn't look at us and go, you're here for the wrong reasons? No, I don't want you. No, I'm not going to teach you this morning. I'm going to go here and teach this guy who's here for the right reasons. We're going to have a conversation together. But you, no, forget you, you're here for the wrong reasons. God doesn't do that. Even when our love is fractured toward him, his love is never fractured toward us. It's always full and complete. And that takes us to the next section, which is Jesus laying it on the line to these Pharisees. He says this in verse 37 and 38. He said to him, now bear in mind this is Jesus responding to an expert of the law, but he's responding in the presence of everybody. So he's talking to one guy, but he's responding to everybody. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. So what he basically does is tell the Pharisees, you have totally and completely lost your your focus. It's gone. And what's interesting is, is he quotes from the Old Testament. Now, that may seem weird to us, but that's all they had at this point. And he quotes what's called the Great Shema. Y'all say Great Shema. All right, I heard half of you will give you some credit this morning. (laughs) It says this, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel. Heads up, Israel. Wake up. Not listen, not let these words go in your ear, but hear it. Let it be something that penetrates your brain to the point where you do something with it. That's what God says to Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Which that was a big deal, and that's a sermon for another day. You, have, you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, and with all your soul, and with all your might. So he's directly quoting from Deuteronomy, and he's also directly quoting what is known as the greatest commandment in Deuteronomy. Now why is that important? Well, go back to verse 36 for a second. Teacher, which, is, which command in the law is the greatest? Now, why is that weird for Jesus to do that? Well, here's why that's weird. Because if you've ever read conversations with Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus does not respond to their questions ever, right? Like, they'll ask him a question, and he's like, that ain't the real question. Let's go over here and talk about this, right? I'm gonna talk, You're over here in left field. I want to talk about what's in right field right now. That's how Jesus operates, right? But in this case, Jesus is like, okay, I know where your hearts are, I know what's going on with you, so you know what? Yeah, I'll let you test me. Well, for him, it's not a test because he wrote the book, right? (laughs) Be like somebody that wrote the, you know, published a book being tested. Well, yeah, line three, you know, page 45, word one says this. It's not a test for him. And he responds back with the greatest commandment. He didn't just repeat back a verse and say, yeah, this is the greatest commandment. In my opinion, Right? Jesus isn't using his opinion. He is using what would have been um, commonly, a commonly accepted verse or verses, the great Shema. He is using those essentially against the Pharisees to say, okay, you would ask me what the greatest commandment is. I'm going to tell you what the greatest commandment is. And it's one you can't even follow. And it's the best one there is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. So he's basically telling these Pharisees, guys, you're in charge of keeping the law. You're, you're in charge of keeping all 613, and this is, the, this is it. This is the number one commandment, and you can't even do it. Like, don't even worry about 612. You can't even keep one. And he knows that they're testing But what's interesting is it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Now, why is that important? Well, it doesn't just say, love the Lord your God. It goes into the very being of who you are. Now, a little little bit of a Greek lesson for you. Y'all hang with me. Don't shut down yet. I promise you this is important and it will make total and complete sense in about 30 seconds. Okay? So in the English language, when we say love, we just say love. Like, I love chocolate. I love my wife. Same word, right? So, how do we tell them apart? Well, the context, right? I love chocolate. I love my wife, right? Two completely different phrases. I'm so glad my wife just laughed at that. Thank you, Lord. Right? Two completely different phrases, both using the same word. Well, Greek doesn't do that. In Greek, there are all kinds of crazy words for love. There's the word phileo. Anybody know of a city that's in the United States that might sound like that? right Philadelphia city of brotherly love phileo brotherly love right which i don't think that they're the city of brotherly love anymore but that's beside the point right so you have phileo and then you have agape right if you wanted to say i love you you would say te aga- agapao i love you right agape love agape love is unconditional love it's i'm going to love you no matter what and you can't stop me and then there's eros, and eros is not necessarily used in the New Testament. The Hebrew equivalent of it is used in the Old Testament, but it's the love between a man and a woman. It's, it's marital love, okay? Well, the love that Jesus is mentioning here is an agape love. It's an unconditional love. So Jesus is saying, unconditionally love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, what's interesting here is he's not just saying, love the Lord your God. He says, Lord, your God, right? He doesn't say, hey, Israel, love God, right? He's responding back to the Pharisees, and he's teaching us something, which is this, ownership, right? Jesus Christ, God the Father, cannot be the God of my parents and me live for God. It doesn't work like that. When I, when I became a Christian, I did not become a Christian because my parents were Christians. I didn't become a Christian because I wanted to be a better person. I became a Christian because I wanted to have my sins saved, or my, my sins paid for, and I recognized Jesus Christ had done that. I wanted a change in my life. And that's the reason why so many people say, Oh yeah, I became a Christian because of this, and it has nothing to do with the Bible. That's the reason why they're not really, they don't really love God. Because you can't love God if you're loving somebody, if you're loving God on somebody else's terms. And it says, your mind, your soul, and your heart. Heart, soul, and mind. Those are the three elements to a person's being. Right? Your heart, the thing that physically pumps, but it's also the seat of your emotions. Your soul, your personality, what makes you you, right? That's why I'm different than my, my sons and my wife. And then your mind. And if anybody knows anything about physical pain, you know your body will give out long before your mind will. And Navy SEALs will attest to that. Your mind can do crazy things that your body does not want to do. And that's the reason why this verse is here. That's the reason why Jesus quotes it. He says, look, when you love God, love God with everything you are and focus on Him alone. But make the choice for yourself. Let the choice be for you. Let it be your God. And then love Him with everything you are. Let that focus be on Him. And when you do that, it gets you to the command that is like it, but not like it. And here's, here's where we go. Here's the third point. So you go from having a fractured love of the Pharisees to having a focused love. And then your love becomes fearless. So your love starts out fractured. You think you know it all, but you really don't. God gets a hold of you and says, hey, love me. Okay. You focus your love. And then once your love is focused, once you love Jesus with everything you are, then it becomes a fearless love. And we get that from verse 39 and 40. It says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the second is like it doesn't mean second is like it in the terms of it's similar because it's really not. I mean, love God, love your neighbor. Okay. What Jesus is saying here is the second is equal to it. So when he's responding back to these Pharisees, what he's saying is, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's what's interesting. Okay. Love the Lord your God. Vertical relationship, right? Because we typically point to God as being up there, right? Vertical relationship, right? Love of people, horizontal relationship. When you do both, you start to look like Jesus. Now, why is it fearless? Well, it's the second part of that that most people miss. Most people say, oh, go love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. But it says love your neighbor as yourself. Which means you've got to love yourself. You've got to accept yourself before you can properly love your neighbor. And I would venture to say there's a lot of people that really have a hard time doing that. Like you wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm all right. Even though you just sucked in didn't bounce. Right? Or you look at yourself in the mirror and go, man, there are about 50 million gray hairs right there. Lord, I need to go bald again because that's just ugh, I'm old, right? We have a hard time accepting ourselves for who we are. But the amazing thing is, is God tells us, Genesis chapter 122, 27, we're made in his image. Psalm 139 says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Why is it that we as Christians cannot accept the fact that that we're loved by an almighty God and that we should love ourselves. If God loves us, why in the world can't we love ourselves? If God made us a specific way, why can't we love ourselves? So many of us deal with insecurities. When I was um, back going to college, I mentioned that one of the reasons why I got into relationships was for the sake of having a relationship. Well, if I'm honest, the reason why I got into a relationship was to make myself feel better. To be able to claim, I've got a girlfriend. Woo! Like, you know, that one up to me or something. You know, it's like I find security in women. That's ultimately what that was saying. But what it was really telling others, when they started to watch, was you define yourself based off of those around you, and not based off of who you are, not based off of who God has made you. And the interesting thing is it wasn't until I got saved, about three or four months after that, that I finally realized, man, God made me the way I am and I just need to get over myself and learn to love myself for who I am. Do I have blemishes and scars and all kinds of stuff? You better believe it, but God made me that way and that's okay. Why is that important? Because this verse says, love your neighbor. And that word is that same word again, going back to love the Lord your God, agape, unconditionally, right? So love your neighbor as yourself. How does fearlessness tie into that? Here's why. Okay? You learn to accept yourself for who you are. When you learn to say, this is the way God made me. I may not be the greatest engineer in the world. I can't do this, but I can sure do that. When you learn to accept who you are in God's eyes... Then you become fearless because then you go, you know what? I am who I am and I'm going to use my gifts for God's glory, whatever that looks like. If if God made me a type A personality that's an extrovert, that means I have no fear in walking over to my next door neighbor and going, Hi, my name's John. Good to meet you. I know I probably sound crazy right now, but I love Jesus and I'd like to talk to you about him. And hopefully not get shot in the face. I mean, that's why it's called fearlessness, right? Or you're at work and you've been around people for the last three or four years that that, that kind of might know that you're a Christian, but not really. But then you openly start doing crazy stuff like leaving gospel tracts on their desks. Or talking to them and saying, hey, do you have a church home? Who, Who is Jesus to you? And it takes fearlessness to do that. I had a friend of mine one time. We were talking about being afraid. Um, and he said, You know what fear is, don't you? And I was like, Yeah, it's what makes your heart go like this and makes you sweat a lot. And I was like, No. I mean, yes, but no. He said, Fear is false evidence appearing real. And I was like, Wow. See, when we live fearless lives, we live based on truth. Because if we live fearful lives, what happens is, is we live according to, to something that we think might be happening, not what's actually reality. right? We're afraid that if we walk over to our neighbor and say, did you know Jesus loves you, they might take a swing at us. When the reality is, they, have made, they may have been going under depression and all kinds of stuff, and they may just want somebody to come up and love them. We don't know because we're afraid that this reality we think is happening is reality we're fearful god says be fearless right go back to joshua chapter one god says to them three or four times do not be afraid do not be discouraged for the lord your god is with you wherever you go child of god if you are a christian you should not be afraid ever Jesus Christ himself told us as he was getting ready to ascend into heaven, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I am giving you that same authority. Go and make disciples. You think the reason why he gave us that authority is because he knew we were going to be terrified to tell people about Jesus? Probably. And here Jesus says, go do it. He wants us to take our love life from a fractured love life to one that is fearless, to one where we look at Jesus and go, you died for me. The least that I can do is tell people about you. And that means if I've got to love my neighbor who I know doesn't like me because my dog barks all the cotton-picking time, I'm still going to figure out a way to love him. But that fearlessness goes back to having a focused love you look at Jesus and the Pharisees, you see legalism and you see relationship. So many of us have the one and what we really need is the other. So many of us have the knowledge, but what we really need is to get over our knowledge and just realize God loves us and you can't stop him. So many of us have grown up in the church all of our lives. We've heard about the gospel all of our lives. We think we get it, but the reality of it is we've never really gotten it. Because it's gone from here, but it's never gone down here. It's stayed up here. And when we really start to look at what Jesus Christ has done for us, our love is fractured. It's not focused. So how do you get it to go from a fractured love to a focused love? How does love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, how does that practically play out? Well, the first step is you've got to recognize God loves you. But you're a sinner. And I know that people don't like being told the bad stuff about them. I don't like being told that I'm a sinner. Nobody likes that. But there's incredibly good news. You're a sinner, and you're separated from God, but God knew that, and he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins, and Jesus Christ suffered the most horrific death that one can think of. Here in in five weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter, and I love Easter, but I love Good Friday, because Good Friday really is a Good Friday if you're a Christian. That's the best day ever if you're a Christian, and then Sunday comes. Woo! I'm getting fired up already. Y'all going to have to brace yourself on Sunday. I'm just going to tell you right now. But you can't love Jesus until you admit one thing. I am fractured. I have lost my way. I, I know Jesus. I've read this Bible dozens of times. I know Jesus. But I don't really know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with well, Brother John, I get what you're saying. I mean, I understand that I'm a sinner, and I understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and was raised from the dead, but how do I have a relationship with him? Tell him you want, you to, you want him to be your Lord. Call on him to save you. Well, Brother John, I've never prayed that. I've never done that. Well, here in a minute, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. And if you're scared and you're terrified, like I was when I first prayed, that's okay, because I'm going to guide you through it. And in a second, I am going to lead, lead those who want to become a Christian in prayer. But there may be those in this room who have been saved, but they've never been baptized. Easter Sunday, we are going to have, hopefully, Baptism Sunday. We are going to do some of favorite things in the world. We're going to have communion on Easter Sunday. We're going to worship together. And then, Lord willing, if anybody wants to get baptized, we're going to baptize them. Two of my favorite things in the world to do as a pastor is baptize and do communion. And if you've been saved but you've never been baptized, I would love for you to come forward this morning and say, I want to get baptized. I'll talk to you a little bit more, and hopefully on Easter Sunday we'll baptize you. Or maybe you've been saved and baptized at another church or another denomination of like faith, but you want to be a member here. You've never moved your membership here. You want to invest further in the kingdom work here in in Clarendon. I would love for you to come talk to me. Or maybe you just need somebody to pray for you. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor, other than baptisms in the Lord's Supper, is to pray for God's people. And I would love nothing more this morning to pray for you, to give you a holy handshake, put my arm around you, and pray for you. And if you want to become a Christian this morning, I would ask you to just simply, actually, let me do this. Let me ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes so we don't point anybody out. And as we go into a time of invitation, if you want to become a Christian you don't know what to say, if you want to give your life to Christ, just simply say this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And you were raised from the dead. I trust you as my Lord. And call upon you to save me. Lord, as we go into our time of invitation, I just ask that you would help us to be honest with you. Lord, we may have a fractured love right now, and we're not really to the point where we want to have a focused love. We want to give our life to you. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be honest with that. But Lord, maybe your love is focused. Maybe we do have a relationship with you, but we're not living fearlessly for you. We're not loving our neighbor as ourselves. Or maybe we just need to pray. Or whatever it is this morning, help us to do business with you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.